0: And I introduce to you a most remarkable and gifted woman, Wendy Lair. Thank you. It is indeed an honor to be asked to speak to you all. I um, was thanked many times downstairs during the first part of this. um, event, and I have to say truly, no, thank you. And thank you so much for friends of mine who have come, and I'm sure you've heard all the stories I'm going to tell in the dressing room. And for old friends who are here, please be careful about (laughs) fact-checking. It's especially a pleasure to speak to the um, university libraries because of the archives which are being created a daunting task no doubt the title of this evening is my life in the theater i always said yes that last part kind of came out of too much coffee at the french meadow with judy and i said you don't think it's just gonna substantiate all of those um, murky ideas about women in the theater being of loose morals (laughs) <laughs> or, or do you think people will think I'm not discriminating? But um, everybody in the arts or in acting knows that the stress in a, a line can change the meaning of a line. So my life in theater can go, my life in theater, or my life in theater. But the two are really interdependent. <clears throat> um, having to say something having to say something to yes is also very much a part of my life in the theater, because you have to have some some offer before you can say yes. My first performance in the Twin Cities was with Theater on the Road. I... uh, came up here from Drake University and I'll try to do a quick overview of my life but uh, and we I was playing the part of Winnie the middle-aged witch in the comedy Bell Book and Candle and we opened at the Minneapolis Women's Club in July of 1962 it was Friday the 13th (laughs) I should have taken more notice but luckily I didn't, so it didn't um, keep me from continuing my romance with this community as well as with the theater. In order to try to get my head wrapped around not only the my life part, but the theater part, it was really a wonderful opportunity to take up Doc Whiting's book. Now, Doc Whiting, Frank M. Whiting, for whom the theater across the way here is named, Um, wrote a wonderful book that was released in 1988 called Minnesota Theater from Old Fort Snelling to the Guthrie. It was very cutting edge but of course it was written in 1988 and when I took it up I was fascinated by everything that was said and got such a wonderful overview of theater but I kept stopping at the pictures saying Oh my God, it's John Cranny, Ray Burke, Linda Kelsey, and Lonnie Anderson in 1966 on the showboat. My, they look so young. (laughs) But um, one of the things that I got from Doc's book, which I don't know, you know when you're in the thick of it, when you're creating your own work, when you have only one thing in mind, which is the next moment of being on the stage, you kind of forget about that nothing comes out of nothing. And it was interesting to think of Edwin Booth playing in Minneapolis in 1888. And even before that, you know, these people coming through touring, playing Shakespeare, and uh, that alongside the um, the sort of community theater aspect of Snooze Boulevard and the Swedes doing their vaudeville and the old Germans in, um, at Fort Snelling. So um, that history started to really um, give me an appreciation, not only for the fact that theatre has always been here, but audiences have always been here. Because the theatre wouldn't be existing without that part of the quotient. Um, However, Doc Whiting, of course, did say, and as you all know, I know, uh, that the Guthrie Theater really was a watershed moment in the life of theater in um, uh, the Twin Cities and in the country. And I hate to think of what would have happened if he had gone to Milwaukee or Detroit, which were the other two places that he had considered. This would be a very different landscape. Hopefully, what he accomplished not only uh, in the Twin Cities, but in the United States would have happened, which was the decentralization of theater from Broadway, from New York and the East Coast, we'll let Philadelphia and and Washington in there, and maybe Boston, but uh, that now, in 1963, we start to have theaters in our own communities, which was not a new idea, but it was one that was a long time coming, and when it finally came, it rattled the earth. And I just, uh, in 1963, Guthrie opened, and I came here in 62 and transferred to the University of Minnesota in 1963. So it's a serendipitous date. The other thing about I always said yes is not only did I say yes to the many wonderful opportunities that have come my way in the theater, but I grew up in a culture of yes, I started life in uh, Easton, Pennsylvania, and we moved to Stockertown. And my mother and father were great parents in saying yes. I think it it came from their background. My my mother had confided into me once that she asked her father if she could go to college, and he said that was the dumbest thing he ever heard of, sending a woman to college. All of us, my sister, my brother, and I have been to college. My father's uh, father left the family when he was two. And when he uh, he proposed to my mother, he said, "Uh, I never had a father. I will be the best father that I know how. And he was. And the two of them created a culture of yes for their children that was the beginning of it all. So in our household, we had much book reading. Wendy is from my mother reading Peter Pan to my brother and sister while she was carrying me. Um, uh, we did plays all the time. Plays. My brother and sister being four and five years older were allowed to go to the movies. I didn't go until later. But, um, so our plays were sort of like the movies. But uh, I was the actress, my sister was the director, and my brother did special effects. And one time, my sister cut my hair because it wasn't sophisticated enough for the courtroom drama that we were presenting. Now, all of the adults had to pay through the nose to get in, and that was the basis of the money for the Santa Claus Club. So, um, and we also did site-specific works. We did... Uh, uh, weddings through downtown after denuding my Aunt Catherine's bushes of all of the hydrangeas. We did uh, water spectaculars after somebody saw an Esther Williams movie. Built, built a big pool under the swing set out of tar paper, and I was the comic relief in that. I remember it well. <clears throat> well, all of these things were given to us this nurturing Uh, kind of existence. And then a really watershed moment for me came when I was like four or four and a half, and my mother took us into New York to see the ballet. Now, I've told this story many times, but I really think it is the moment when the lights went on. I saw that ballet, and I couldn't believe it. What was on stage was what I had hoped in my heart of hearts was happening underneath the hollyhocks in the backyard. And it was just amazing. It snowed. Those sylphs were just as I imagined them. And of course I thought, okay, i got to get in on this. Can I take ballet? Yes. So off I went. Well... um, I just have to tell one other story because some people find this rather imaginative that uh, as uh, when we were making up our own little site specific things somebody went off to we weren't particularly religious but there were you know there were ministers in the family and after um, after going to um, bible camp one day we uh, all wadded up bread and hid it under the bushes and pretended we were the children of Israel finding manna in the wilderness <laughs> Just love that one. Well, I was not going to become a ballerina. I had some health setbacks when I was younger, and I spent a number of years in convalescence after uh, a lot of surgeries. But here's another story, and this, this is my story for the library, is my mother's always a great reader and we always got to read as well. And when I was about seven, I can recall it completely. We had moved to the country. I was recuperating. I was sitting up in bed. I was reading A Wind in the Willows. And after a moment or a, a few minutes of reading, I looked up and I had been at Christmas time. So my imagination had been both stimulated from the visual of the, um, the ballet, from the imagination of being in um, uh, playing, all the kind of play that we did, and then that reading could transport me. And that was such an amazing moment for me. And it is something I think that has served me well as an actress, because imagination is the deal. And I I have to do a sidebar here, and I think I wrote this down, actually. Um, I have a feeling that uh, our growing infatuation with the screen, which gives us images already made, may be stifling some of our own ability to visualize and to create uh, worlds of our own that, by the way, we would as artists, uh share with the community. And because I get postcards from the universe, you know, whenever you're working on a play, everything has to do with the play. You just get all of this little information. Today there was a, a quote uh, by Susan Sontag: industrial societies turn their citizens into image junkies. It is the most irresistible form of mental pollution. Poignant longings for beauty, for an end to probing below the surface. For a redemption and celebration of the body of the world, ultimately having an experience becomes identical with taking a photograph of it. I can't tell you how many times I have seen my students performing and their fathers are and I always want to say to them, how did you like the show? Well at least they can play it again and again and again. Um, but yes is also a spirit thing. I've been said yes to and now I got to say yes. But there are many ways to say yes. You can say yes, you can say yes, you can say yes. It's, it's really got a lot of, um, of uh, latitude. And the yes being that way has to do with the spirit of the thing. But I digress. And we have another move. Now I'm in Webster Groves High School, and this is in suburban St. Louis. I have moved from the little um, country place where there were lands and things to explore to the city. And that was really cool being in the city, and now I'm starting to see more things, to see some plays, to see some operas, and I walk into the little theater at Webster Groves High School, and again, the lights went on. Before I even did anything, it was just like, this is it. And the cool part about it is, um... You know, you don't. the rigors of dance are not necessarily the same rigors that you're going to have when you start to participate in the theater. But I loved that theater. I did everything I could. My mother, my yes-saying mother, I can recall her saying on Thanksgiving, but honey, are you sure you have to go into the theater and sew curtains all day? It's Thanksgiving. Mother, I have to. All right. <laughs> so... It is at um, Webster Grove, or it is at Drake University, which is my next step from Webster Groves, graduating, and I was going to college. Since my mother didn't get to go, we all were going to college, and uh, it was at Drake University in my after my sophomore year, or toward the end of my sophomore year, that uh, Karen Osborne came down from Minneapolis looking for men to be in theater on the road, and everybody said. Oh, you should take Wendy. You should take Wendy. And she did. And thank God my parents said to a 19-year-old girl, Yes, you can go. I'm not sure it was the wisest decision, but I'm glad she said it. And here is where I come in contact with the world of life and... uh, everything I could ever hope to imagine in the Twin Cities, and what a time it is. I'm at the university in 1963, the Guthrie is opening, Um, all of these other kind of theaters are coming and going, and uh, I go up to Bemidji and, and do like seven shows in a summer and really beef up my resume, and it is there. And then that the most important yes of my life is made, and that was the yes to come to the Children's Theater Company. And this is really the seed of establishing myself as somebody who would come up here and talk to you because it gave me the first 20 years of my theater career, and it was in every way a 20-year apprenticeship. When I came to the Children's Theater, I um, had sort of an inkling that maybe if you were going to be in the theater, you had to go to New York. And I was kind of thinking that Julie Harris might be somebody I'd like to be. (laughs) We're sort of look a little bit alike, and I, I like some of the plays that she's done. I've read them, The Lark and Member of the Wedding. But at the Children's Theater Company, everything is up for grabs. In the, within the first year of being there, I learn about medieval music. I learn about uh, surrealist painters. I learn about uh, karate, ballet. We take dance class every day. We all sing together, and it is such a great way to think about how to have a company and how to train a company and how to have an authentic and original artistic voice, which was led by John Donahue, who's in the audience tonight. And um, it it was a wonderful ride for 20 years. I've learned everything. I I had no idea that there was so much richness and so much to be celebrated. Uh, Well, that was 20 years and that was a pretty good run. And then, Most of us went down to Arizona, where Gary Gisselman had an invitation to come down to the Arizona Theater Company, and I spent three years there, and the cool part about, or four, the cool part about Arizona was it was a different kind of theatrical literature. It was not making up stories, it was not doing new work, although certainly when the Children's Theater, um, when I was at the Children's Theater, there was a lot of... um, work done for adults as well and a lot of work done to nourish the performers so we did Romeo and Juliet and we did uh, the lower depths and we did a lot of adult work but it was really interested, interesting going into a more mainstream regular theater I thought well will anybody think I know how to do this and they did so that was a validation and it also gave me a chance to play some of the most Wonderful roles. Um, I think the first year I was there, I played Dolly Levi in The Matchmaker. I played um, uh, Bananas in House of Blue Leaves. I played um, Soot in Marriage of Bet and Boo. I mean, it just was, it was just. A great banquet of things. Uh, because of the way the economy was going, it was harder and harder to sustain that kind of um, company. So I came back to the Children's Theater Company as our Associate Artistic Director, as the Director of Education, and really that was where I started doing a lot of directing. In between there, since nobody actually stays in Arizona in the summer, I, I would go to places like. Florida, and Cleveland, and uh, and in those venues, I started doing some musical theater on stage and some directing of operas and some choreography. So coming back to the children's theater, I did have a little bit more in my bag of tricks in those particular uh, areas, but uh, I stayed there until 1999, I think, 8, 9. And then became the, oh my goodness, I'm out on the end of a limb years. Where, as everybody now in the arts business knows, it's freelance time, and it can be really cool, and it can be really not so cool. In the saying yes part, you know, you say yes to learn something. You say yes because you're enthusiastic about the people. You say yes because... It's going to really stretch you. Sometimes you say yes because you just need a little bit of money, and during that time, I um, I was able to do some nice legitimate work. But I think the oddest job I ever had was starting to create a, a live show event for My Little Pony. They had had a great um, success with the Bernstein Bears. And I just said to these people from Hasbro, you know, two legs are easier than four. (laughs) But uh, as I was doing that, I was able to Uh, help them with the prototype and hand it off to somebody else who needed a job. And that's when, in um, 2005, I started to help create this new charter high school for performing arts called the St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists. Now, that was the hardest job I ever had, running a school and dealing full-time with teenagers who are not at the children's theater where they are your students and your colleagues at the same time, but uh, with students who have parents, <laughs> for starters. I stayed there an extra year, but it said I said, all right, gentlemen's agreement, I never talk to a parent. <laughs> so um, I was at the school and uh, strangely and wonderfully enough, while I was working hard in the trenches to create a really viable, good, um, performance arts training program built on the what I knew from the children 's theater company, my career started to take off on the acting stage again and from um, two thousand and ten until this very day i 'll tell you I am just amazed and blown away that i 'm back on the boards and those, and the the things that I have been given as assignments have been. So amazing. One of, the th- one of the stories of Be Careful What You Wish For had to do with my partner Gary Briggle and I went to New York and we saw Grey Gardens. <clears throat> and I watched it and the part of Big Edie, I thought, that would be a good part for me. It's written right down in my range. You know, I don't have to worry about singing too high or low. A couple of really good scenes. I'd like to do that someday. Well... I got my chance but as I looked at the music I went this is in (laughs) 7-4. But thankfully at the Ordway and Park Square who co-produced it um, they gave us a a wonderful coach and uh, when I went in for my call back I said I'd like to sing for you. Jerry likes the way I do my corn. Do you mind if I slap my thigh as I sing? Jerry likes the way I do. But I survived that and then did what I think probably the play that I've had the most fun in ever, which is The Full Monty. And of course, I was up there on stage with the boys. And the bo- I was the mascot. You know, I was old enough not to worry about, but I'll never forget the time that um, one of the actors said, "Um, Wendy, I'm sorry, tonight I'm going to go for it. I'm afraid you're going to have to see my genitalia. (laughs) And I said, well, Joey, I will glance as I must for the purposes of the script, but I won't stare. (laughs) And so uh, I've done a few directing things. I've continued to teach. Choreography is sort of on the boat going out into the sunset, but um, I, you, it's, it's been so wonderful, and tomorrow I'm going into rehearsal for The Heiress at the Jungle, so it's, it's totally great. Now um, I, I did my little spiel, and I really think it's better to do some Q&A because then I get at what you like for questions, but I know we're all Minnesotans and nobody wants to go first. So I have here some hypothetical questions (laughs) that I think you would ask if you weren't afraid of going first, which always reminds me of that wonderful um, story that Garrison Keillor always says. Now, he talks about it, I think, in the sense of Swedes, but we could say Minnesotans. He said, how do you know that you're talking to an outgoing Minnesotan? Because they're looking at your your shoes instead of their own. (laughs) Thank you, Garrison. Um, uh, All right, uh, so uh, you, gentlemen in the bow tie, uh, what advice would uh, I give to young actors? Well, it's really interesting (laughs) because I just was in on a panel. Giving advice to young actors with Bradley Greenwald and Randy Rays and Paul de Cordoba and a couple of other people. And the lead motif among our talking to them about getting into the business or continuing on a career path in um, the theater is don't make up your mind what you're going for, be open to what comes your way. And this has so much has to do with that yes factor. Because if you keep saying no to things because it isn't in line with what you think you want to do, you're going to cut yourself off from, so, from your career. Don't think of your career as out there. Your career is what you're doing now, and even if it's in school. So that seemed to be something that everybody was saying. Um, and then the lady in the red dress uh, how do you compare the work in Twin Cities theaters today with the work here 40 or 50 years ago? The ecology of this of this as a theater town, which we all know is a theater town, I don't have to tell you that, um, is that theaters begin, mature, flourish, some fall away, but it is a constant move. So, um, I think the hardest thing to see is some theaters go. I, I, the, the loss of the June Moon is a, is a terrible loss because it was an authentic theater. It had such a, a real voice. Every time you would go there, you might not like the play, but you really had, had an experience and, and had something to talk about and had been given food for thought. I think it's difficult for theaters... Um, when they institutionalize. I think even when I was at the Children's Theater in the early days, the fact that we had a new theater and, and we wanted to make sure that um, we were keeping afloat that uh, certain decisions have to be made. And, and that's sometimes is heartbreaking when you see an entire theater which has had a very vivid um, artistic creative life have to start making decisions about what people might want to see and uh, what'll bring them in, what'll pack in the seats, because we got to keep paying people here. I sort of see it as like the early years when you're just a, a baby and a toddler, everything is great and you're discovering. And then when you get the teen years, you start getting to be a little... <clears throat> lippy and a little whiny because um, our theater is good as theirs. Why didn't we get something? you know? And then when you get into the 20s and 30s, you're getting more mature and you're having a better idea about what it is you want to do. And then you realize that you have all these children you have to feed. And then you might have to be making some decisions that will keep the food on the table. So it's really interesting to see how these things um, flourish, change, fall away. Um, I just was looking at a list of theaters that are still going on. Uh, the Playwright Center is 43 years old. Illusion is 40 years old. Chan Hassan is 46. Park Square is 42, The Heart of the Beast is 41, Mixed Blood is 38, Penumbra is 37, History Theatre is 34, Red Eye is 31, the Children's Theatre Company is 49, and the Brave New Workshop, Dudley, I know you're here, is 56, and the old log is 74. So... In looking at Doc's book, which is where I got all the the times from, it's so amazing to uh, see pictures of colleagues who are still going at it. And uh, you know, God bless us everyone, as Tiny Tim would say. Um, But what does that mean about new theaters? I love the new theaters. There are some of the new theaters now that remind me of the craziest of heyday theater from the firehouse and some of the... Well, it's just amazing. I um, went to see a play in 2011 called The... Ravagers, and it was done by the Savage Umbrella Theater Company. It was an adaptation of an Aeschylus play. It was just uh, so exhilaratingly done by these people. I won't tell you the plot or anything, but it was in an old, ripped out um, movie theater, and they were just using the site, and the the toilet was a Portisan outside, and it was in the middle of November. But that play was so good, I'm still talking about it. All right. Now, the young man who's sitting next to the woman with the big purse. Um, what was your favorite play to be in, and what play would you like to do? Uh, of course, every time you're working on a play, it's your favorite play because you're so immersed. Um, my favorite play probably, over the long run, as having done Cinderella for so many years. Not just because you got to be totally off the charts on stage, but it was always such a, a delight to have an extended family during the holidays. And my, I just loved it every time, and from 1966 to 1999, I was in all 12 of those uh, productions and I never missed a performance. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, What play would I like to do? Um, On my bucket list is one of the, I want to, with Bane Belke, I want to be those two guys in the trash cans in the Beckett play. Um, uh, And let's see, who else do we have here? Oh, Madam with the Red Hair. Have have you ever considered doing movies? I'm not very good in movies because I am too expressive. You have to be sort of impressive to do a movie, and you have to stay in the shot. And that was the hardest part for me. Uh, What some people may or may not know is I was in Fargo, but I hit the cutting room floor. I hope it wasn't because of my bad acting. I hope they just snipped it out. But I still get residual checks, which is a okay And I got to do a crossword puzzle with um, Bill Macy, who was a very nice man. What are your guilty pleasures? Really? You want to ask me that? (laughs) I have a number of guilty pleasures. You know, as much as I rail about... um, having our imaginations co-opted by the screen. When I've had a hard day, there's nothing better than to take from the public library a checked-out copy of Midsummer Murders, and you just look at it, and I don't even care what the plot is. I go, oh, look at that house. Look at those roses. Oh, that church is so cool. And um, and go on a little um, trip (laughs) to that lovely part of England. I think it's the Cotswolds. I'm not exactly sure. But... um, uh, that and crossword puzzles. I loved hearing that Will Shorts was here. I sometimes take his name in vain because I go, that's not a clue. <laughs> so I love that. And um, and I also like to bat about in the kitchen and, and cook things um, and eat things. <laughs> All right. Uh, somebody else said there. Could you, could you repeat that again? Uh, oh, uh, do I ever get stage fright? You bet. <laughs> I have always been sort of a nervous performer, and it usually goes away after a couple of performances, but um, one of my little mantras as I stand there waiting to go on on an opening night, and I'm, I'm with Alan Hamilton. Alan Hamilton says, I'm so sorry the critics here have never seen me act in a play. They've only ever seen me survive opening night. <sighs> I always say, if this, if this doesn't go well, I'll never have to do it again. <laughs> and then after 10 or 20 performances, and you're just lapping it up, it's, and it's great, all of that goes away. But there's, I think it doesn't get any better, because the older you are, and the more time you've spent on stage, the more you realize how many things can go wrong. Ugh. And then um, you might ask, Uh, What's the worst thing that ever happened to you on stage? Well, I work very hard not to have worse things happen to me on stage. I really do, because I think preparedness is key. I'm already starting to learn lines. Of course, that's a function of being a little bit older. And that's one of the problems, is sometimes a friend of mine said, you know, your memory is like a table. And you put a lot of stuff on it. And sometimes when you get really full, if you put something on it, something falls off the back. Well, lines have often been ah, hard. Uh, And I think now I am suffering karmic retribution for all the fun I have made of older actors who have said... Untoward things. One of my favorite being God rest his soul. Ollie Cliff. Too many of you probably know her who had seen on the Guthrie stage. um, Went down to Arizona and was playing uh, the narrator, who had the first line in *Christmas Carol*. And his in his stentorian voice, he announced, "Scrooge was dead." Plot, twist, plot, twist. <laughs> <laughs> so so for, for all of that, I was sitting on a stage playing Dolly, Levi, and the Matchmaker. And I'm pretty good at improvising. But, you know, sometimes... Uh, oh, somebody laughed, they know this story. I've told this story at the dressing room several times. I was supposed to say to Horace Vandergelder in the Harmonia Gardens, I intend to spend the rest of my life enjoying myself." And of course, sometimes that slippery thing happens, and I said in front of a paying audience, well, I intend to spend the rest of my life pleasuring myself. I. I told this recently to one of the cast members in our town. He said, I'm sure that's what Thornton Wilder meant. (laughs) I think I've run out of these kind of questions. So is there a question out there that anybody would like to ask? I don't know what we do about the lights, unless you just want to Oh, there we go. Here, and I have on a lavalier mic. Can you still hear me? All right, does anybody have a question? See, no one wants to go first. Yes. The picture with the moustache, this is one of my, these are two of my favorite pictures of myself. <laughs> this is a moment in the House of Blue Leaves that was uh, sort of improvisational. Uh, John Donahue directed it, and he said, while you're up there, and they're talking about you down here, uh, just put some put some breadsticks up your nose or something and turn around, and I thought, well, I don't think I can keep breadsticks up my nose. <laughs> So, I, down in the dressing room I found a mustache, and I just put it on, and they always talk about her as being a little um, Italian girl, and I thought I looked just like Jerry Colonna. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Bone Dry, and that was, a, that was a fun piece to be in. I was a, a neighbor of these people who was uh, very religious, but smoked. <laughs> I gave up smoking many, 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 many years ago. It was a gift, and I was so afraid because this is the first play I smoked in, and you know you can't really pretend to smoke. And e-cigarettes are great now because then the audience doesn't go into hacking fits. But um, I enjoyed it, and I never took up one except on the stage. So is there another question? Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's a great question. I should have had that in the hypothetical list. (laughs) Do I enjoy comedy or drama better? It's really interesting because the best comedy is the comedy that's poignant and the best drama is the drama that has humor in it. So, you know, whenever you're playing one, you always have to think about what's on the other side of the coin. Although I will say slapstick is a particular (laughs) joy of mine. And... um, Uh, I I think they both have great rewards, great rewards. I just did Our Town, as Judy mentioned, and It was so amazing. It reminded me of a story that Linda Kelsey told me because she had directed Our Town for the Hudson Theatre Guild in Hudson, Wisconsin, and somebody told her the story of having done Our Town and the the Emily always used to say, and that every time I go into my speech about Goodbye World, there's this big clicking noise. I hear this clicking. Well, it was the women opening their purses to get out their handkerchiefs. (laughs) And you know that that show was great because it was it was done pretty much in the light so that everybody could see across the way and and you really felt like you were part of an audience. And I would love because I could see people crying, but I also would look at people's faces during the wonderful, recognizably human scenes when George and and Emily are um, just getting to know each other, and there are things that just ring so true with every human being, it's such a beautiful play. And I would look, and this is what I would see down a whole row. <laughs> you know, I, everybody, young people, uh, older people, and that was such a, a great gift to an actor to be able to, you, you, you know, the lights are up here now so I can see you, but usually you're sort of whistling to the wind, as it were, and not really seeing who's in the audience. But um, that was both terrifying and very edifying to be able to uh, see and uh, see how much that play meant to people. And it was moving because afterwards, young people who were in their 20s would come up and say, I've never seen this play. And I went, you haven't? As it's like, how can you grow up in America and not see that play by, or hear that play or read that play by the time you're in high school? So um, it's really, it was really a privilege to do it and to live with that brilliant piece of work. Something else? You must be a theater major. (laughs) What is my process for finding each character's individual voice? You kind of never know because there are are so many ins to it. You know, you read as much as you can about it. I, lo- uh, I just did that Min Post thing, and uh, Jim Walsh asked me about, well, are you, are you starting to learn lines for the heiress? Well, how are you starting to get ready? And I said, well, it's an adaptation of a, a Henry James piece, and so I read Washington Square, which is the novella from which it's adapted. And um, I've been looking at pictures of women wearing crinolines, <laughs> because that's a lot, you know. I think as a kinesthetic actress, because I, I always feel like I have to have the, I have to have my body on. It's not that I decide, you know, oh, I think she'll have a limp, <laughs> but it has to do with, um, you know, uh, cultural stresses, um, what a what a person would, how a person would present themselves, and of course, this is all done in concert with, uh, sometimes the playwright and always the director, and. Um, There are times when I have just even put on the hat and went, ah, I get it. But there are so many things, and as I said before, sometimes you get postcards from the universe. Every time I'm working on a play, it seems like the whole world is about that play. Things come at you from, it's just like finding that quote about imagination, because I felt like I wanted to talk about image, ination, you know, having an image. I, were you saying that was one more because we're... we're yes, one more, more question. <laughs> there, over there, there she Yes. Molly. <laughs> In keeping with your physical kind of explanation of how you find characters, I've always so enjoyed watching you, your physicality. Um, someone asked me that in the jungle lobby not too long ago and I said God I don't know I haven't tried for years (laughs) I know some things go by the way but I think if I if I had to do it I could work up to it because I'm almost there but there have been times when I've sort of sauntered over into the corner of a dance studio and started to go and I go oh I think not this day (laughs) And uh, someone just w- was asking me about my gardening, and I said, oh, I have somebody to do that for me now because the last three times I've tried to clear out the front banks, I've spent a lot of time at the chiropractor. <laughs> so it's, it's hard, but uh, thank you so much. I've so appreciated spending time with you. <laughs> I didn't even need to use my cheat sheets. Amazing, amazing woman. Wendy, come back. Come back, come back. Thank you. You'd think I was never in a theater before. making an inauspicious exit well I know know. thank you all so much for coming and thank you for being here what a treat what a treat it was a treat so thanks a lot (laughs) and I've two two uh, things one join the friends of the library if you aren't already and it seems that Someone has taken my husband, Steve Benson's coat, and I think he has taken someone else's coat. And so I know that there are extra coats out there in the lobby. So as you leave, you might check to see if you have your own coat or someone else's coat. And Steve will say, please bring my coat back. So thank you very much for coming.